0: Hey everyone, this is last Jackson of Detroit bad boys. And on this week's podcast, we are talking about your five and 11 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the most recent Andre Drummond trade rumor. We note the team's improvement defensively this past week, and we talk about whether or not this is the best version of Blake Griffin. The Pistons are going to get this season. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing?
1: Doing good, Last Interesting week of Pistons basketball. They won, so we we got to take that and be happy about it, I guess. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. They we said last week. was like, hey, if they win one game, we we got to be pumped about it. Since they <laughs> lost four in a row at that point, and and they did, they won, they won one game. They beat Atlanta this week. Bad loss against Chicago. Good good win against Atlanta. It's it is good to beat up on bad teams. I think that's something that um like really helps out your your net rating and whatnot. Um, and a not so bad loss to the best team in the Eastern Conference. Do you feel better about where this team is headed, been? after a after a one and two week
1: you know it's a great question Laz I think for me my how good I feel about this team depends a lot on how good Blake Griffin is feeling and you know that game at that win in Atlanta aside um, to me he's just not looking right and it's really hard for me to feel good about this team until he's looking right but I mean yeah it's good to beat the bad teams It's good to be, you know, mostly competitive through three quarters with Milwaukee. I mean, competitive at times. It was kind of one of those slow blowout games where they eventually win by a lot more than it felt like through the first half. But uh, until Blake Griffin is healthy, I I don't know, man. I'm I'm still feeling pretty down about the team.
0: Well, after the win over the Hawks, Blake kind of intimated to the media that like, hey, I'm still getting my win back. Uh, this is my preseason. I think he said um, he didn't play on the back-to-back against Milwaukee. And uh, I think Matt Shook put it best. Like, you you wonder what, uh, as, as tight as that game was, quote-unquote, like tight as that game was for, you know, two-thirds of the game. You wonder if Blake could have made an impact in that game. But uh, I guess, so do you think this is, despite the fact that Blake hasn't been his best self, the self we saw last year, to start this season do you think this is the the best we're going to see from
1: blake you know it can't be as good as we're going to see him right i mean he says himself he's at preseason form essentially in terms of his his wind and look that's obvious to anyone who's watching him right now he's not he has no explosion um he's basically getting by on strength and smarts right and uh that's obviously not the player we're accustomed to and even though he, he doesn't get up the way he used to there's certainly a lot of um Lateral mobility and lateral quickness that we saw a season ago um, that got him onto the All-Star team that we haven't seen yet. Um, but you know, I can't help wondering if maybe the Pistons rushed him back a little bit. It's certainly understandable why they're trying to salvage a season that fell apart before it really even got started. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's not right yet, so he's obviously got to be better. But you know, if they rushed him, I don't know. Maybe it's going to take a little longer than we would think that it should and that we hope that it should
0: yeah i don't i don't know if they rushed him they're still quite clearly being very careful with him right like i don't think he's hit 35 minutes in a game yet um if you remember the first game back in minnesota he was on like a very tight minutes restriction they're not they haven't played him on the back-to-back against milwaukee and so i do think that they're because they're being so careful with him that leads me to believe that they they didn't rush him back um I think that we're I don't know if necessarily he'll be any better athletically, but uh, so far he hasn't been the shooter that he was last year. I think that'll definitely change. Um, I think that uh, his his return has also coincided with uh, an elevated level of defensive communication, which I think is really important. And he doesn't necessarily need to be at his athletic best to uh, to do that on a on a game in game out basis but uh yeah i mean i think that i don't think we'll ever see like the I don't, I don't think we're gonna get like the 50 point against the sixers version of blake i don't think we're gonna get like the the putback dunks version of blake that we saw like early like the first 10 games last year but uh, if he can comfortably settle into the rhythm that he found in like early mid to late december early january last season without the usage if i remember correctly January was like his really high usage month, and that was when the season was slipping away. And so if they can continue to keep his usage low, keep him involved in the offense, but not necessarily uh, grind him into dust, I feel good that he'll be able to, to persevere. And, you know, they, they have guys who can uh, restrict it. They can have guys who can help him out in Blake's absence. They have guys like Christian Wood. Christian Wood has solidified a rotation role even after Blake's return. I know that was something I think we were we were both concerned about that Blake would come back and Christian Wood would get uh, shoved out of the rotation. Uh, it was uh, it was pointed out to me on uh, on Detroit Bad Boy. Shout out to Brian Tucker Hill that Thon and Christian Wood had played I think the exact same number of minutes before the Milwaukee game, and I think Christian Wood played one more minute than Thon uh, in the Milwaukee game. So now Christian Wood has officially played more minutes than Thon this season. Congratulations, Christian. Uh, Are you still a Christian Wood truther, Ben?
1: Hey, I'm going to be a Christian Wood Wood truther until he proves that he's worse than Thon Maker. (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely, I'm on the Christian Wood uh, bandwagon for sure. I mean, look, you know what you have in Thon Maker at this point? There's not a lot of question about the player he is. Um, He's got a few strengths, and his, his weaknesses and limitations are on display as well. On the other hand, I think with Christian Wood, you've still got a lot of unknown quantity there. He's, as we've talked about, he closed last season just sort of on a tear. He's had moments like that for the Pistons where, you know, he gets in the game and the whole tone and tenor of the game changes for the good. Now, he's had a couple moments where it's changed for the bad, too. But, you know, I think you got to figure out, is this just a flash in the pan, a guy who's really athletic and caught teams off guard uh, in exploiting some of that unknown quantity about him? Or is there something more there, something more to this kid uh, that can be cultivated and developed into something a little bit more special than what we've seen so far? To me, the Pistons absolutely need to know the answer to that. They've got him on a bargain deal right now. The way this season has gone, I think you absolutely have to explore Christian Wood. Um, You're potentially talking about losing Andre Drummond to free agency at some point. There's questions about Blake Griffin's health and his productivity moving forward. Uh, Christian Wood could be a convenient replacement obviously in the short term but potentially in the long term as well so absolutely play Christian Wood as much as you can figure out if he's the real deal or you know if he's one of these guys whose athleticism never turns into a fully polished NBA product.
0: Yeah I I wonder if Wood is just like a little bit a victim of the roster if the Pistons had it's, it's quite clear that, like, Wood's best minutes come both to next, uh, both to bo, uh, go, wow, okay, <laughs> Wood's best minutes come next to a traditional center, and that's Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond is the only traditional center the Pistons have on the roster. And so if there was another traditional backup center for Christian Wood to play alongside of, you figure that would be uh, a better showcase and, and uh you know, visualization of his talents. But right now he's stuck playing, you know, he's the power forward next to Thon, but Thon's not really a traditional center. He's the center next to Markeith Morris. And we saw a little bit of uh, Christian Wood, Blake Griffin minutes, I believe in the Atlanta game. Those went pretty well, but uh, you know, that, I imagine that that lineup would have uh, struggles defensively against teams not named the Atlanta Hawks. And so, uh, you know, Christian Wood needs another guy who can erase his mistakes on the back line and communicate better than he does on defense. Andre Drummond does that, and so I think that continuing to find space to play those two guys together um, will will keep Blake's minutes low and continue to make the Pistons productive, like while Blake is off the floor. Um, as for like whether or not Christian Wood is a part of the future that's something i keep going back and forth on i just don't i don't know if it's uh just like philosophically it's difficult for me to imagine like an an offense only or a primarily offense only big man like being a somebody you like build around like yes it's it's really really productive and um and that's exciting but like uh i'm it's just something i'm not very is something that like I wouldn't prefer to do. Like this is this is the same reason why I was down on like you remember earlier when I was like talking about who guys Christian Wood reminded me of. He reminded me of like Marvin Bagley, a dude who gets points and rebounds and doesn't really do much else. And, you know, Marvin Bagley is a really good player. The hope is because he's like 19 or 20 that you'll be able to teach him to be more of an impact defender. And that's how you know he'll turn uh, the corner in his career. But like Wood is, I think, twenty four at this point, and so like while he is young, and while um his he hasn't had much experience in the NBA, and his story is not yet written, the type of player he is, I don't know if that's worth a like significant long term investment in the future, um you know. But for this season, for maybe the next couple of seasons in a, in a in a off the bench role, I can definitely see like Christian Wood having a, a very nice impact for this team. Well, Another guy.
1: Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I think the thing is, like, you've got to give him enough minutes to figure out if he's got the capacity to learn some of those other things. Because I think you're right. He's he's points and rebounds, and there's room for that off the bench in the NBA, I think. Um, I, I think the question is, you know, if you look at his history, yes, he's 24, but he's had some really weird NBA situations. Um, and the questions are not, to me, the question is, can he be coached up to improve on some of those deficiencies? And I think you only get that with a little bit more consistent playing time, so that's kind of what I'm hoping for. And look, yeah, I think you're right. His his role long term is probably as a backup energy big, and I don't think you you pay him a whole bunch of money or anything like that. But I think you know if he can improve his team defense, for example, right? If that's the one thing he could improve, I think he's a nice guy to have in your your big man rotation.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, another another young guy that we've been you uh, know. Nope keeping our eye on is Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown is up to seven points a game, which does not sound like a lot, but he <laughs> averaged like four points a game last year. And so, Hey, we'll, we'll take the improvement bigger improvement though. He's shooting over, he's shooting 36% from three, um, which is much better than the like sub. He was in the twenties last year. Um, and he's not exactly shy about shooting them either. He called for a couple in the Milwaukee game that make you, uh, hmm, and he's shooting them mostly from the corners. I've noticed that as well. He's handling the full-time starting point guard duties, something that I think we didn't expect out of him definitely coming into this season. He's uh he's up to almost two stocks, steals plus blocks a game. And, you know, significantly, he really attacked Trey Young defensively on Friday. I really like the way he uh decided that, you know, Trey Young wasn't going to be the the needle that he was the last time that the Atlanta Hawks and the uh and the Detroit Pistons played so where are we on Bruce Ben like what have how have you uh, been looking at Bruce and his game in the last couple of weeks
1: yeah I think I'm gonna need you to play the optimist here because I'm still struggling with Bruce Brown I mean he's had his moments and we've celebrated them on the podcast but you know to me his value is really dependent on how good of a defensive player he is you called out the Atlanta game and I think you're right to do so um, but a season ago that's the kind of play we expected from him, right? This season, we're calling it out as something that's been the exception to the rule, and that's a little bit concerning for me. To me, his, his long-term value as an NBA player is you know, that defensive stopper, and then the stuff you get on offense is a bonus. I would love to see that corner three shooting continue. If he can be a three and D guy who can also handle the ball a little bit, that's obviously some, some great upside for him. Um, but you know, for me, he's also sort of a victim of the situation because his game is not really where it needs to be to be a true point guard. And obviously this, this team could really use that right now with all the injuries, uh, that the team has had. Um, and it's, it's really not fair to criticize him, uh, for the team's situation, right? He can't do anything about that. Um, But look, to me, as a long-term point guard this season, and it looks like it could be long-term, we're not hearing anything really about Reggie Jackson's situation. Um, You know, it kind of makes me nervous. I'm afraid that he's a real limiting factor, unless all of a sudden he is a 37% three-point shooter uh, for the rest of the season. So, I mean, I'm still cheering for Bruce. He's the kind of guy that Pistons fans can rally around, and I'm going to keep cheering for him. But, you know, to me, I still need a lot of convincing uh, that he really des- belongs to be in the, he deserves to be or belongs in the role he's been playing so far
0: yeah for me it's that he has the potential to be that uh that primary defender of of other guards that's that's like reason enough to keep him around on this team and uh but and you're right to say that We haven't necessarily seen that level of defensive effort from him at all this uh, all the time this season, but that's because he's been trying to load up more of his plate offensively. It's difficult to, you know, last year he was a very low usage player. Um, You know, he'd go entire segments of games without touching the ball ever. And teams were just able to completely ignore him now because he's handling the ball because he's doing more on offense. uh, Teams can't ignore him as well, but that also means he's expending energy on that end of the floor that he, that he wasn't last year. And so I'm, I'm very curious to see what this stretch of games like looks like for Bruce. I, we, I definitely think the point guard Bruce experiment is like a year ahead of schedule and it's good to remember that. But, um, I'm I'm just I continue to be very interested in what Bruce Brown has to offer. We've seen him be better in transition of late. Um that's a really important element. It's also important because the Pistons don't have a lot of uh they don't Pistons don't get out in transition offense very often. And so if that's something he's able to an element he's able to contribute to, that'd be uh very beneficial. Um you see he's developing like a nice rhythm in the pick and roll with Andre Drummond. Um, because Bruce is not like an off-the-dribble shooter guys uh, give him a lot of space and so he's using uh, his quick first step to close that distance and uh, force the help and and dump the ball off to Andre that way he did a lot of that in uh, in summer league and Andre is a better finisher than anybody he he played with in summer league Um, and yeah I'm just Um, and you know, the shooting is, uh, the shooting is the shooting. I think the shot is coming along. He's not shooting well from the free throw line. I think he's shooting like in the fifties from the free throw line. So that is not a good indicator, but it's also like a very low number of attempts. So I'm not going to freak out about that. But, um, I think, yeah, I just think it's, it's, uh, we need to be reminded to be like patient with Bruce, but, uh, I do because of the defense he played on Trey young. I just did just want to talk about him this week. All right, the, uh, the other young player that the uh, we need to talk about is Luke Kennard. Uh, Luke Kennard has only hit double digits once in the last four games. Uh, he scored nine points and had nine assists against Atlanta, and the team was humming, so you, you put that down in the, the good ledger uh, for Luke. Uh, he's getting up the shots. He had double-digit field goal attempts, I think, in all four games. So he just, they're, they're just not going down. Um, he was on the injury list against uh, Milwaukee. He obviously played against the, the Bucks but he had a hip strain that's similar to the injury that Tony Snell is currently out with. Um, and so are, are we worried about Luke, Ben? Are we worried about Luke's uh, sudden inability to hit shots?
1: You know, I'm not worried about it yet. Um, I think shots come and go. Um, the upside is he's the shots that he's missed, I think, over the last several games are, are shots that he's certainly capable of making. And I'm thinking especially um, against Milwaukee, he just missed a couple just wide-open threes. And, and that happens. That happens to the best shooters in the game. Um, I, I I can't say I'm worried about the injury. It certainly wasn't noticeable in his play, but we've got to keep it in mind. Um, but yeah, a little bit of a cold streak, I don't think is something to be worried about, especially for a guy who gets a lot of his offense behind the three-point line. You know, and in his defense, I think we have to remember, like you said, for Bruce Brown, being the main cog of the offense for big chunks of the season is certainly not something Luke Kennard was expecting going into the season. So I think we have to cut him A little bit of slack as well. I think you've talked about Bruce very well, and I think we need to be patient with uh, Luke as well. To me, it's pretty obvious if you're watching him closely that his skill set really has evolved. Um, You know, those really hot games that we saw early in the season weren't just, uh, you know, benefiting from making a whole bunch of wide open shots, right? I mean, he was hitting off the dribble, getting to the basket, creating, facilitating. All of those improvements are real. Uh, so missing a few shots here and there over the course of four games um, doesn't really worry doesn't really worry me at all. And if you look at the lineups, too, I mean, you've got Derrick Rose in and out of the lineup. You've got Blake Griffin in and out of the lineup, especially for young guys. Um, lacking that sort of continuity can be just very disruptive um, from game to game. You really don't know for sure what role you're going to have and how your number is going to be called. Um, in, in some ways, this is probably a good learning experience for him, even though the short-term struggles are real. So no, I'm not worried. Uh, I think this is just sort of a natural part of his development and progression.
0: I'm, I'm with you there. I am a, a little bit more concerned just because I think that we are uh, approaching the relative like limit of what Luke will be able to do offensively. Um, He's been a better rim attacker this year. He's been uh, about. He's been the three point shooter. He's always been just on higher volume, which is really impressive. Um, but he's starting to be treated like the offensive player we all thought he could be, and that means drawing defensive attention that uh, he wasn't getting before. That means, um, you know, getting, drawing the the other team's best perimeter defender, and you know that's something that I think will will change once the team is fully healthy. Once. You know, once you have a Reggie Jackson and a Blake Griffin uh, alongside Luke, you, you won't be able to guard that guy with your, you won't be able to guard Luke with your best perimeter defender. But I do think that um, it's good. It's a good reminder that Luke is not, uh, Luke is an efficient, like second or third option, not necessarily a primary option. And, you know, when Blake hasn't played, they've, they've asked him to be, and he's succeeded, but um, you know, that is going to come with some peaks and valleys. And we're seeing one of the valleys right now. You know, long term, I do really believe in luke as a as a very efficient like very core piece of this team, but um you know these last couple of weeks only show his uh is the limits of like what you can rely on him for there's only there's only so much offense you can expect to get from a guy who usually does not uh draw fouls and usually does not attack the rim and get all or get all the way to the rim in the half court and so um, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried because like, as you said, you know, the, those are shots we know he can hit, but if he doesn't hit them, he's just not hitting them. But you know, I'm not super worried about Luke. Uh, Luke has been, Luke has been great this season. Um, hopefully he'll, hopefully the hip thing doesn't really bother him. Um, I know that can be kind of a, that's a range of motion thing. And for a guy who, um, needs his jumper to be like all the pieces need to be moving efficiently for that, to that to work. I worry a little bit about that. But uh, just like with Tony Snell, I expect Tony Snell to be back relatively quickly. Um, hip things, you uh, you sounded like you had some experience with the hip injury uh, last week, and all all it takes is just like rest and uh, and time. And so Luke's a young guy; he'll uh, he'll be able to figure that out.
1: Yeah, hip flexors are the weirdest injury too, because you can feel totally fine and then just stop at a weird angle and just sharp shoot, shooting stabbing pain and. The problem is it's literally just rest. Like you just have to let it rest and get better. And I don't know. I didn't see anything in Luke's game. Maybe I'm missing something, but I certainly didn't see anything that made me think, oh yeah, he's injured. So I'm hoping this is just something pretty minor.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. The, uh, the other big thing that I was paying attention to this week was the defense. The uh, defense was the cause of like many, a podcast between you and I early this season. And since Blake's return, it's gotten better they then the last four games they've allowed you know 109 109 103 and 104 points that's uh, a 107.3 defensive rating which, which which would be 16th in the league over the whole season and you know if you remember last last week or so or two weeks ago or so we were talking about the pistons being like the 27th ranked defensive team in the league and so 16th is a huge improvement over that um, we've seen with the addition of Blake that they're uh, able to rebound better in the starting lineup. Um, we've seen them slightly cut down on the live ball turnovers that plagued them early, earlier this season. Ben, are we feeling better about the defense?
1: Yeah, this was a really good find, Laz. Um and I think your call-out of Blake Griffin as sort of the defensive quarterback, <laughs> oxymoronic as that sounds, is also a really good call-out. Um, you know, To me, watching the team over these last several games, this is not something I would have necessarily thought of and not something that would have jumped out at me, um, maybe excluding the Atlanta game. Um, and I think we also have to wonder a little bit, even though they've had a pretty easy schedule, um, these numbers have probably benefited a little bit from having an easy schedule as well. Um, but that also includes the Bucks, right? The best team in the East, as you called out. And, and they were fairly solid defensively. The bummer of it is, is their offense has sort of fallen off at the same time as the defense has improved, which is uh, just a bummer and just kind of feels like the perfect thing for, for this season. Um, but yeah, I think probably the reality of it is when I'm watching these games, I'm probably living under the cloud of how rough this season has been. And uh, my, my eyeballs aren't recognizing the fact that the defense has gotten better, especially with... With Blake coming back, and look, I really hope that uh, it has to do with Blake coming back because that means some of this could be sustainable, uh, and it could mean that this is a trend in the right direction rather than just some fluke of the schedule. Uh, and I think you're you're absolutely right to call that out. Blake Griffin does a lot with just directing traffic, um, and he's obviously a capable team defender as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really hoping that this is a trend because the offense, the shots are going to start falling again. There's no question about it. And if they can get to league average defense, it's, it's a very different basketball team.
0: Yeah. For me, especially I, the, against the Bucks is when I really noticed it because, you know, like you said that those games are the Hornets, the Bulls and the Hawks, like not exactly the strongest offensive teams uh, in the NBA, but against the Bucks, they were, They were, I think, allowing the types of shots they wanted to allow. They were still having trouble with dribble penetration, but I thought that the the switching on the perimeter that they were doing was a lot better. Um, I thought that uh, they're they're doing a better job of contesting shots on the perimeter after they've allowed dribble penetration. Good job of like helping recovery, and you know, uh, Christian Wood has been effective on the glass. Markeith Morris, I think, had like three or four rebounds last night, which was like, whoo, good, good for Keith. <laughs> um, Thon Maker had a couple rebounds against the Bucks, which is also like quite surprising and Thon should try and rebound the ball more. But uh, yeah, I think there's been an an emphasis on the rebounding aspect and not giving up extra possessions and not turning the ball over that I hope proves sustainable defensively. Again, the maybe this team isn't going to be like the... Twelfth best offense in the league, and you know Luke Langston and Christian Wood aren't all going to shoot like forty five percent from three or whatever. But you know Link, Luke and Langston are good shooters. Um, Blake is a better shooter than what he's shown so far. Svi is a good shooter, and Svi is shooting I think like forty eight percent or something from three on on very low volume. And so the the theory of this team, which is to like surround Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond with a bunch of shooting. And play defense like that is still a theory I believe in and so seeing them be effective defensively is a part of that theory that we hadn't seen before and that we're, we're seeing now and so I'm, I'm encouraged by that yeah
1: and one other thing that you called out like the, the Blake Griffin as defensive quarterback it'll be interesting to see how much he and Christian Wood get to play together because I could certainly see playing next to Blake Griffin as being a very good thing for a guy like Christian Wood. um obviously you learn while you're playing with a guy like him. But I mean, also uh, just the fact that Blake can sort of yell at him and get him where he's supposed to be sort of in real time. Um, I'm going to keep my expectations a little bit realistic, but I think that might be something worth watching to see if uh, those two play well together. And if so um, is Blake sort of coaching wood on the floor, having anything to do with it?
0: No, definitely. So now you made me curious. I'm about to look up their, their two man pairing. Um, which I'm sure is like not amazing, but uh, actually no, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to delay the podcast to do. Let's do that. Let's do, let's that, let's do of,
1: that next week or two weeks from now, right? Like, let's, let's get a few more minutes under our belt.
0: Yeah, it, it was something I noticed against Atlanta that you know they they trusted Blake enough to to play with Wood, or they trusted they trusted both of those guys to stay afloat offensively against an Atlanta team that can score points on you. They they will give up a lot of points, but they can also score a lot of points. And I, like there was a 12-0 run by Jabari Parker in there somewhere that had something to do with that. But yeah, the, that Atlanta team can score points and they trusted them to hold up their end of the bargain defensively. And they did. I think uh, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, when this team gets healthier, I think they'll improve defensively just because a lot of the guys they are missing right now uh, in Reggie Jackson and Tony Snell in particular have good size for their position. And so you'll be able to do a little bit better with, with on-ball defense and whatnot. Um, Tony Snell, I think, we will be back relatively quickly. And we, we talked a little bit about Reggie's injury earlier in the podcast and, like, when we we're talking about Bruce Brown. Um, Reggie Jackson, they said, if I'm remembering correctly, they said he would be reevaluated in four weeks in the first week of November. And so now we're three weeks in. So I, I would expect we see or hear some news about Reggie in the coming weeks or so. All right, and the uh, the – Next thing I wanted to talk about was, was Andre Drummond. Uh, we we both said, yeah, I said on the podcast, like when we did our Andre Drummond Love Fest, it was like this is not going to continue. Like this is this isn't gonna last forever. Um, and we both agreed that we wanted him to uh be the uh linchpin he's been defensively rather than like continue to be this offensive dynamo that he had been. And that's what occurred. He's still turning the ball all over a lot. Um and he's still getting himself into foul trouble by uh, dribbling into into charges and whatnot but he's also the only thing holding this team together on defense most nights and he's averaging 18 and 16 and almost four steals plus blocks a game Uh, the reason i'm even like thinking about this though is because we had a a trade rumor from sean devini of forbes uh, that was Charlotte being interested in Andre, both in free agency in the future and as a trade uh, partner now. But the potential return was really low. It was like Bismack, Biambo, Marvin Williams in a first rounder, or like Marvin Williams, Michael Kidd, gilchrist in the first rounder. Uh, the, the return for Dre is just like so low that i struggle to think of like what the perception is around him league wide. So we talked about trading Blake last week, Ben. What, what kind of return are we looking for in a, in a trade trade this week?
1: Yeah. So I, I think the big complicating factor here is the fact that his return value is probably about as low as it's been during the course of his entire contract right now. Uh, and that's because he's approaching the end of that deal. And if you're looking to trade for him and looking to keep him, you're obviously taking a pretty big risk by doing so. So. On the one hand, I think that that rumored Charlotte trade was absolutely ridiculous. And and I would think the Pistons management would be laughing that right out the door. Um, But at the same time, I think the Pistons have to be pretty realistic and understand that if you're going to trade for Andre Drummond, you got, well, you really got two things working against you. One, you've got the contract situation. Two, I think you've got the fact that the NBA is evolving in a way that has devalued guys like Andre Drummond for better or for worse. But if you're going to trade Andre right now this year before the deadline, um, to me, I feel like it it sort of triggers to me the fact that you're probably going to want to just go ahead and blow it up. Um, I don't feel like Blake Griffin is going to be the Blake Griffin we saw a year ago anytime soon. Um, the Pistons, even, even if you traded Andre Drummond for a couple useful rotation pieces, um, you still have a pretty – pretty high uphill battle fight for the rest of the season. So um, to me, like if you trade Dre now, you might as well just start over because uh, this season it's going to be hard to salvage no matter what you do. And Blake Griffin's not going to be getting any younger. He's not going to discover the fountain of youth this summer, even if they were to shut him down now. So um, obviously opinions on Dre are divided. We know that. Um, But given where the, the rest of the team is, given where Blake Griffin's health is at, like if you're trading Andre Drummond to me that means yeah it's time to really start over and and rethink what we want this franchise to be built around because um, right now like it or not Andre Drummonds the closest thing you got uh, given Blake Griffin's status so not an advocate for trading him I'd rather keep him um I, I don't think the situation I don't think the stars are aligned to get a good deal out of Andre Drummond right now um but if they do, yeah, I might not. let's just start over. Let's let's figure out what we want to be moving forward, post Andre Drummond, post Blake Griffin.
0: Yeah the the other thing around the league, like not necessarily a Pistons thing, but a, a, an NBA thing that makes a Andre Drummond trade difficult, is that there's not a lot of really bad long term money that you would be interested in like the formula is like okay we give you this star player we g- you get you give us some bad long-term money you don't want uh, a young player or two and then some for some future young players in the form of like first round picks you look around the league you know almost 40 percent of the league uh switch teams in july you uh those dudes obviously can't be traded anytime soon anyway um you look around the league a lot of the bad contracts that were handed out in the summer of 2016 are almost expiring or coming up. And so those, those deals are expiring And so teams are less willing to place a premium on getting rid of them. And so, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like really uh, atrocious salary to trade Dre for um, like you, you, you think about like a, a Chris Paul or somebody who signed an extension like after 2016 um, and like that money Chris Paul's a really good player, but like that money doesn't look great, especially since he's like 36 years old. But um like that is that's the kind of contract you'd be looking for in a Andre Drummond trade, and there aren't a lot of those contracts out there in the league. Um and so just like as a another like NBA side note, the you know, the the formulaic convention of like how an Andre Drummond trade would go down is not necessarily um as uh as formulaic as like we'd like it to be in the in the weeks.
1: and like i can't help but believe like even if the long-term goal is to be pretty open to an andre drummond trade which i'm not opposed to right like i'm not opposed to trading andre drummond if it's a good trade right yeah yeah but i mean his value if if whatever happens this summer with his contract right is going to have a lot to do with how valuable is he is in a trade a year from now or a year and a half from now because you know right now if if you if you trade for him you're, you're just taking a big risk. If you've got him locked up, you know, into maybe like a three year deal, a four year deal, and you trade for him, then you're getting him for essentially the rest of his prime, and maybe you're willing to part with more assets to get him, right? So, to me, like, I'm not saying Andre Drummond should be the franchise player, lock him up to a max deal right now. I'm saying you got to be a little more savvy than trading him when his value's at basically the lowest it's been since he signed his contract.
0: Yeah, and even if you even if you as, as I hope they do, even if you re-sign Andre at a very similar number to what he's being paid right now, which I think is a relatively fair number, both for a player of Andre's ability and status among the the athletes of the city, but also as like just a, a guy in the NBA who's limited by the team you can place around him. Um it it you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to pay him more than that, and so you you don't necessarily uh, think teams would be interested in trading for him at a similar number to what he makes now, like two, three years down the line either. And so that that complicates, you know, what you could necessarily get for him in a deal now, because, you know, his, whatever team gets him prior to his free agent year is also thinking about those things. They're also thinking about, like, how is this guy going to age or how are we if we give this guy, you know, 30 million dollars, like how is that contract going to look two, three years down the road? Will we be able to get rid of it? Will it just be like completely bad money? And so like those are those are some of the like moving pieces that go into uh, any contract. Uh, contract situation like with Andre Drummond. And so like yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on there. And so but uh all those moving pieces don't add up to Bismack Biaobo Marvin Williams in the first
1: round. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 just a laugh out loud kind of a trade. Like there's just no way.
0: Yeah, basically. All right, Ben, the uh schedule this week. We got a couple more games. We got Orlando on Monday, uh, of course. Orlando will be without Nikola Vucevic, who injured his ankle really badly, and they might be without Aaron Gordon, who uh, didn't play against the Pacers with an, with an ankle injury on Monday. Um, on Wednesday, they'll go uh, to Charlotte, and then Thanksgiving will happen, and they'll fly back home, and then they'll play Charlotte at home on Friday. And then we have a Sunday matinee at home versus San Antonio. San Antonio kind of struggling on the year. They're 6-11 and and uh, just lost to the Wizards this week. Ben, is there uh, is there any way the Pistons can pull three and one out of their hats this week?
1: Oh, Laz, you know that I've been as optimistic as anybody going back to the summer, uh, and I can't help but shake the feeling that like I'm getting a little bit of what I deserve. Like I'm a I'm a Detroit sports fan. I didn't I didn't really have any grounds to be optimistic, and I'm sort of getting reminded of that. Um, but man, in spite of that optimism, I'm having a really hard time seeing three and one. I'd love to have that confidence, but I just don't right now. Um, and look, honestly, even saying two and two feels like a stretch for me. Um, fortunately, we got Charlotte tr- twice, and we're catching Orlando at sort of a good time. So here's what I'm going to say. You, you win that Orlando game, especially if they're without Aaron Gordon. You get one of those against Charlotte, and in spite of the fact that San Antonio's struggling, I don't love that matchup for us, um, and I feel like they're probably going to beat us. So I'm going to say two and two. Um, and I feel like I'm stretching a little bit because that the optimism is wearing thin, but let's get two wins. So that a week from now we have some positive things we can talk about on the podcast.
0: I like that. Uh, I am, I'm going to say three and one Ooh. just because if, if this season is going to start turning around, it has to be relatively quick quickly, right? The, the schedule gets much more difficult for this team in the latter half of December, they start playing. Basically, they start playing teams from the West for the first time all season and uh, in the early part of January. And so if this team is going to make the push into the Eastern Conference that they want to make, they're going to have to start winning some of these games. Um, the, The defense is really the thing that encourages me. The most about uh, the rest of these games, especially this week, um, Orlando without Vucevic is really struggling to score points. I watched uh, a good chunk of that game against Indiana. Uh, Indiana is a very good defensive team, but the lineups that the uh, the Magic are putting out there are just not um, they're not necessarily uh, lineups that are going to kill you offensively. Um, we've already seen uh, we've already seen Charlotte, and Charlotte's playing well, but. Uh, you know, that's a team I think the Pistons are definitely capable of beating um, with a with a better effort from Blake Griffin uh, that they would have won that Charlotte game. And so I, I feel pretty good about those games. And yeah, I don't I don't feel great about the San Antonio matchup. That's just going to be a tough matchup no regardless. But yeah, I think they should be able to win. Uh, they they if they don't win three games this week, we can start uh, looking towards the rest of the schedule. It'll be ever closer and uh, tugging at our collar collars and, and gulping a little bit. All right, Ben, uh, That that's the podcast. Let the people know where they can uh, find you on social media, where they can get uh, pictures of your kid, <laughs> the one kid looking like he's terrified of the camera.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Whoever, I don't remember what's off the top of my head. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, family pictures, man. The little guy, only a couple months old. He was staring at that camera like it was uh, possessed by the devil or something. Uh, at BR Golker, that's where I'm at on Twitter. The, the kid pictures get posted to Instagram and sort of feed through. Also, I'm really making an effort to jump into the comments, especially in the podcast post. So, if uh, I have everything wrong about everything, I want to know about it. Let's let's fight about it a little bit and in, in good in good spirits. Well, friendly fights in the comments. I like that.
0: Yeah, just the spirit of friendly competition. I like that. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I will. I've also been kind of jumping into the comments more often. Um, I've been really. Uh, trying to, you know, be active in, in the recap post. I think that's where we get a lot of the, the discussion around the Pistons. And it's a lot of good discussion. And so I want to facilitate that and take part of it uh, as well. All right, y'all. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to y'all next week.